Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today we have on a three-time B2B CMO, Stacy Furios. And Stacy, you've been in fintech a lot of your career. You've worked with big multi-million dollar organizations that had big budgets. You know, you've seen how at a very complex, very well-funded organization, how do you do things, right? And you've also then been in places where you can be more agile, right? And the structure isn't as much there, not that structure is bad, but you've kind of seen the gamut in terms of how do you do things successfully, especially how do you create the perfect buyer's journey? Because right? that's where we spend the vast majority of our time. How do we cater to and nurture that journey, right? So if you wouldn't mind, maybe... Expanding a little bit more on your background, you're right now at Green Check, what Green Check is, and then we'll kind of get into that buyer's journey and how what your perspective on that is. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me uh, to start off with. Yeah, I have um, a 25 plus year career uh, working at companies of all different sizes, uh, always in marketing or a variation communications, public relations. Um, MarTech, I've gone sort of run the gamut of the different functions within marketing and communications um, at companies of various sizes, as you mentioned. And it really has given me um, a really, really interesting perspective of seeing what one does when you have larger budgets, what you are able to do. And then when you're at a smaller company, how you get a little crafty um, and how you, you know, multi-purpose um, content, for instance, and get every every last dime out of it, um, and really, and the the benefits of both of those, but then also the similarities, the things that are just universal truths across. So it's been really interesting uh, across my career from that perspective. At GreenCheck, um, we are at a really interesting point as well. GreenCheck, at its core, is uh, compliance for the banking uh, and credit union. Um, industries for those that want to bank the cannabis um, industry. So in states where cannabis is legal, um, banks and credit unions do want to support them uh, and how they go about doing that in compliance um, and the confidence that that those dollars coming into their institution are, in fact, compliant dollars. Um, we've also expanded out to a marketplace now where we are connecting with other service providers, insurance, payroll providers, uh, lenders who want to service the space as well. So it's really connecting uh, to very different audiences um, in a meaningful way and building authentic relationships and trusted relationships with both the financial institutions as well as cannabis operators looking to connect. So from a buyer journey experience, we have very, very different uh, journeys on, on both sides of the house here uh, at GreenCheck, which makes it really, really fascinating. Um, and what I always call juicy problems to solve. Those are the fun ones that we should all like as marketers. Yeah, well, we've got to kind of geek out on that and like what we do a little bit, right? You know, and that sounds like they're very different. Like there are companies that sometimes have very divergent ICPs, right? And so therefore the buyer's journey looks very, very different. Tell us, just let us kind of get started and tell us, you've got a very unique perspective on how to develop the buyer's journey, what the buyer's journey is. Maybe share that with us just to get started. Yeah, um, I think as marketers, we all tend to... Uh, the literature is always written around the buyer, the funnel, right? The, the, we've got top of funnel, we've got mid funnel, bottom of funnel. And then once they're uh, customers, we've got the engagement. 
So we're very focused on sort of the marketing theory of it all, which is all true. Um, however, most marketers will also acknowledge you cannot force the buyer into your funnel. You have to meet them where they are in their buying jury. And that's the piece that we uh, really need to focus on. And that's something that I'm very much passionate about. We can't, um, I'm always talking across any team that I've ever worked in about how we can't force them into the buyer jury, right? We've got our, we need that new leads. We need this. We have to nurture the ones that are here. Once they get to this point in the funnel, then we're going to do this. And sales wants them to be sales qualified and turn them into pipeline. And so they're active deals. So we tend to look at it from a very internal perspective, but we have to flip that and focus on the buyer journey and their, what do they need? at certain points um, of their of their journey and where are they at? How can we support that? And even just when we look at um, the stages, brand awareness, um, brand credibility, demand gen, lead gen, I would flip those around and say brand awareness is I see you, right? From the buyer perspective, I see you. Um, then brand credibility is I trust you. Demand gen is I need you or that, whatever you're selling. And lead gen, when we get further down, is I want to buy from you specifically. And, you know, and that just goes through and it really is flipping that that lens um, to really focus on who we're selling to. Even in B2B, it's still about the person. Yeah, it's interesting because we have very defined stages of the sales and marketing process, right, where we're trying to move people through. So we tend to look at it very linearly. but Today's buyer journey is not only omni-channel, right? But you and I were talking before we hit the record button here that it looks more like spaghetti these days, right? So with so many places that we can actually reach the buyer mm -hmm. and that there's not a linear process that they're going through, that makes the buyer's journey a lot more difficult to kind of create and plan for. So. How do you do that? How do you solve that problem? Yes. Well, and I think it's the eternal. Um, I'm not sure that there's ever a solve, but it's, it's an ongoing solutioning um, of that process. Uh, because I agree, there is no linear journey experience anymore. As much as we would love it to be, uh, it would be much easier to track, much easier to predict and forecast. However, that's not how we buy. We all know how we buy. I might hop in in the middle of the journey because somebody else told me about your product or or I read a review. So now I've got, I've seen you, I trust you already, and I'm jumping in right in the middle. Um, so I'm going to blow your statistics out of the water of what you're expecting me to do the moment that I come to you. I'm going to go right and raise my hands. That's abnormal. We cannot plan for those. However, that's why having a multi-channel uh, uh, strategy overall is important. You need to be continually filling your, your content um, for public relations purposes. You need to be continually fulfilling your content for um, blogs that might be more applicable to your mid-funnel if we're looking at that way. So it's, it's sort of always planning um, for all of them, all of those stages, um, and then tracking. Um, I know we'll probably go into detail at some point around sort of performance tracking, but really, really looking at where people are coming in, where are they triggering? Most importantly, kind of looking at where they're stopping um, and where they never come back. Because those are the things that are that are 
really much easier to spot um, and fix than mapping out all of the spaghetti. You can't map the spaghetti because, you know, I think we all know what's the statistic now, 70% of the buyer journey is online before you ever even know who they are. Um, Before they ever want to even talk to you. Exactly, exactly. So how instead of mapping um, the ideal and figuring out that, remove the barriers, um, right? And again, that's flipping it on its head a little bit and looking at it from the buyer journey what stopped me? Why didn't I proceed? And if you ask the negative question and solve for that, then you're facilitating all the spaghetti in the world that will ultimately get them to you in a way that you as a business want and they as the buyer need. You're right. It's, it's very insightful because we have no idea where they're going to enter or what they're going to consume, You know, whether it could be a very, very bottom funnel product marketing focused piece. It could be a high level thought leadership piece, and they might be doing that simultaneously. Yes. But where they stop, where they exit, you know, where they pause, you could look at those points very specifically in the trend line that goes through there. So if we can't tell what stepping stones they're going to step on next, but we can certainly look at the ones they last stepped on. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Now, you talk a lot about that. There's a lot that you can tell from the insights from your MarTech stack, but you can't leave it to the technology to do this. What is your perspective there? Yeah, um, I think we had we had kind of equated it uh, in our previous conversations to sort of book smart and street smart, right? So all the marketing theory in the world about the funnel and how you want to pull them through the funnel. Um, matters, right? We need to know that. Um, and we need to create content for each of those places, um, for each of those decision points along the funnel. Um, that is part of the book smarts. Um, having all the right technology, the marketing automation, um, the the right um, widgets, the right pop-ups at the right point in our journeys, and all of those other capabilities that we love and many of us geek out on. I know I do. Um, that is also oftentimes very important to supporting the best, the the ideal sort of client uh, buyer journey and client experience. But that also still looks smart. You need the context. You need the relentless focus on the uh, customer experience. So as most marketers will know, all the tech in the world doesn't solve your problems. You have to know who your buyer is. You have to have your defined ICPs and personas, and you have to be relentlessly focused on what's in their mind. At this point in time, what's in their mind? What's top of mind? How can I solve their problem? Um, and that is the, the street smarts that has to happen in, in um, conjunction with the right technologies to support those experiences. And the right marketing theories to to create the overall um, experience as well. And you have to have both. You can't have just the book smart. You can't have just the street smart. You can. You can manage with either or. But optimal um, is to sort of combine those. So it's really, and again, I think most marketers will recognize it. Um, a lot of folks think they understand marketing and could probably do marketing. But those who've lived it, those who've grown up in marketing, it's just, it's a different beast. It's a different animal. You just have a completely different perspective on how to actually reach um, your buyers in a meaningful way. And you know, one thing that I want to ask your opinion on, because we want to fall in love with technology. 
we want to you know fall in love with AI, right? We want to say that it's going to do everything to scale our business, but make it more efficient, make much more use of our time, right? But the street smarts that you're talking about, is that just good old-fashioned talking to your customers, talking to your prospects, right? Like, tell me a little bit about, you know, the how do you develop and maintain over mm -hmm. time that street smarts? Yeah. It absolutely is. Um, it's getting in there. It, you can't know or understand if you don't have a conversation, if you don't respect their process, if you don't understand exactly what their challenges are on a day to day. And again, I could read a book about my, you know, my my target audience's day to day practices, but that's still book smarts. What's it feel like? You know, what how, how does that what is that biggest weight? What keeps them up at night? Right. It just is paramount and really providing the context for understanding your buyer. The same sentence, just with a, a, a different um, tone of voice can change. We all know that as, as content writers. I could say, I got you. Um, or I could say, I got you, right? And it's two totally different implications. <laughs> so again, context matters. So having the conversation with our clients, having conversations with prospects as they're going through, it's absolutely important. I think pragmatic marketing, actually, the pragmatic marketing certification has a, a saying, Nahito, and it stands for nothing interesting happens in the office. Um, as, <laughs> as sort of an homage to get out of the office, have conversations, know your customers, understand their challenges. And I absolutely believe that to be true. Um, that's, the, that's the best way that you can add that context in. And you can get that experience a lot of different ways. Listen in on sales calls, listen in on, you know, and just be a fly on the wall for support discussions. Um, it's really, really valuable intel. Yeah, I was talking to another B2B CMO the other day that was on the podcast. And he said, you know, Steve, I hate to admit it, but I feel untethered from the customer right now because I haven't had a direct conversation in about three weeks. Right. Because, and he said, but you know, we, we need to be doing that and we need yeah. to make it a part of our job. And definitely there are things that you can find out on gong calls and things like that, but there's also things that, that salespeople can't bring up in a sales call when it, as soon as it's a sales call, it takes on a different dynamic. Right. So yes, what you're reminding us here is because I guarantee you are busy in your job. I guarantee you have way more to do than you time you know, than you actually have time to do it. But what you're saying here is without that street smarts, we're not going to be effective marketers. We're not going to understand the experience around the buyer's journey, how to meet it, how they're feeling, you know, what they they're they're people, just yeah. like on the B2C side, right? And they they have there's all kinds of emotions that are wrapped up in in these decision making processes that they have too. So I love the emphasis on street smarts. Uh, tell us a little though about maybe, you know, we have to ultimately tie all of this into revenue, right? Mm -hmm. We're all trained, you know, we have to be very revenue minded. It's not about an MQL and I throw it over the wall, right? It's, it's about how do I follow this throughout this entire experience? You, you mentioned even at the beginning on through, you know, customer support, right? And retention and expansion of revenues from that client. So how do you think about this as you apply it 
to a revenue focus or a revenue mindset. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and for a while, um, a few years ago, I saw a revenue marketer as sort of a spe- uh, skill set uh, that I saw popping up and I thought I was very smart, right? When we think um, back when I first started marketing 25 plus years ago, it was a lot harder to track things. Um, I remember we thought we were the height of sophistication when we put a trackable 800 number uh, on different ads in publications. Uh, that was our attempt and that's what we had at our disposal at the time. As technology has become prolific across you know, all, all areas, not just MarTech, um, but as, as it's grown and the capabilities have grown, so too has our ability to track and measure and analyze and optimize. What often happens is that we get very focused as marketers on what's the next thing that we're doing. So, you know, something is completed or it was out the door and then you're instantly looking forward. I think that's a huge miss um, if we don't stop to look back and analyze. How did that go? How did we perform? And coming back to what we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, how do you see where people are dropping off if you're not going back and looking at it? Um, you know, how, how do you connect that and make that optimal buyer experience? So that those insights um, and intelligence gleans from accurately tracking um, and tracing and creating these experiences, all of, all of the correct data points that you need, um, the data points that you need for revenue-focused contributions. So beyond NQLs, as you said, you can't just throw them over the wall and say, hey, sales, I gave you, the, you know, targeted 100 this month, I gave you 120. We rocked it. We're good to go. That's not enough, right? We have to know how they performed. Were they good leads? Were they not? Which of them, um, which lead sources drove the highest number of deals um, in the pipeline? Which lead sources drove the highest um, number of closed one deals that actually went on to become clients in areas where you might have varying sizes of um, recurring revenue or versus one-time revenue implementations, depending on your B2B business? Um, it's natural to ask the question of which ones created the highest, which lead sources generated the highest amount of recurring revenue, um, new clients. So if you are not tracking and you're not analyzing and improving your marketing campaigns, you're also not able to say exactly where you, which ones drove the most amount of recurring revenue. And I've never met a CFO that didn't want to hear that. I've asked for more budget and gotten it when no one else None of my other departments did, but I did because I attached it to how much recurring revenue that was likely going to drive because I had the data. So performance and connecting, not just for how, how an email did and, and removing obstacles from the buyer journey, um, but performance matters when you're actually contributing to the bottom line in a meaningful way from a marketing perspective. Yeah, you know, we all know the line, hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. So that's what you're saying, right? Let's let's put our 2020 like glasses or contacts on and let's let's look at the, you know, the most successful customer relationships. Then you start to peel backwards and you say, okay, well, what was the buyer's journey that they took? Yep. Exactly. Because if if we're designing a buyer's journey for our ICP, that's one thing. It's a second thing if we're developing a buyer's journey 
for our ICP that turned into our most profitable clients, right? That's a very, very different thing. And you can only do that by looking backwards. So I think that's very, very insightful. Do you have any, um, whether it's, you know, uh, the street smarts or looking back or, you know, do you have any, any stories about how that impacted the business that you could kind of give some context around the really insightful, uh, but kind of strategic discussion that we're having right now? Yeah, um, absolutely. So looking from a looking back perspective, uh, uh, one of the companies I worked at previously was a much larger one. Um, and, uh, very much uh, analytical of that buyer journey and and looking back and saying, okay, people get to this point, it was a it was an onboarding experience for a financial product. Um, and this one was actually trying to make a pivot toward having consumers sign up for financial products as well. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole full uh, experience and sort of market research effort that went into that get it live and everybody's excited. Um, but then looking, there was there were drop-offs here, and then those that made it forward kind of dropped off here. So watching that look back and adjusting, in one instance, it was content, and in another instance, it was an operational issue. So diagnosing and looking back, um, I wish I could remember the exact percentages of increase in each of those um, parts of the journey experience, but overall, it was a 20% increase in conversions. Um, which is significant, right? From two, from fixing two um, drop-off points, so that's that was a pretty significant, um, significant win. Um, from a performance perspective, tying to revenue, um, I worked uh, for an organization once where myself and this chief revenue officer were in lockstep. It was phenomenal. Um, so we really were very much aligned on the the transition points between marketing sales. Sometimes those are fuzzy. Um, and who's doing what? And we introduced new um, stages again so that we could track the exact date, um, the exact drop off. There was a component between MQL to SQL where MQL just kind of sat there and and wasn't there was really no good intelligence if it didn't move to SQL as to why. So we introduced sales accepted, S-A-L, into the process. Because what that did was allowed us to say, okay, if it moved in, even if they didn't get a callback or something, if it was, if it met the target criteria, the ICP, if all of those components were good from an MQL, that's as far as marketing can really say, it would become sales accepted. If from there something happened and it was not a, um, a truly qualified deal for pipeline, that was a different variable. Um, but we were able to decipher that. Or was sales not following up? Was there a, um, an operational internal component? We removed that question. So there was, there was some of that. We saw MQL sitting. And so we rectified that an internal operational problem. Um, and then we got the end sale for the um, sales acceptance. So it met the criteria. What else do we need to do to move it forward? So sometimes that analysis of of asking the question, did these go on to become revenue contributors, added to another sort of internal component that clarified and gave us the data that we needed, myself and the CRO, um, to change some of the marketing behaviors up front and some of the sales behaviors on the back end, again, to support that overall buyer journey. So it was the sales accepted lead 
What again was the qualification for that that you measured? Yeah, so we all know NQL, it met certain criteria. Um, we created sales accepted, which was sale tend to look and accept that NQL or reject it within, you know, I, I don't remember the exact SLA, but it was within a couple hours because we were trying to be very responsive. Um, and if it was immediately rejected, you, we all know sometimes people fill out, we have the cleaning services in your form and it's, a, it's technically a handful and they fill up. They click the, the segment that makes it look like it's, an, but we all know that that happens. So immediately reject that um, versus, or somebody that, okay, we've had six conversations with a higher up here. We know they're not an actual target, even though this person met, you know, nine out of 10 criteria. And so that company looks like it should be qualified, but we know they're not. So there's, it gave the opportunity to reject before sales even um, made an outreach to follow up on it. Um, which again was pivotal for us in that particular moment in time with that product. Yeah, and it and it, and it takes away the the sales accepted leads. Then it takes away the yeah, maybe you gave us 120 versus 100 MQLs, but they weren't good quality, right? You exactly. know, then it, it places a, an ownership on sales in terms of the acceptance of that lead, and then they're going to need to work that lead and. Yeah, in that scenario in particular. And in that, that with that relationship with that uh, chief revenue officer, it was great because we were really looking and I was giving to her um, all of the, you know, lead sources, uh, Intel and how many went on to which sources were the, you know, best ones that their MRR really did matter, monthly recurring revenue numbers. So we, we were tracking back um, and it was, again, just a really great relationship where then we were, when it came time for budget discussions, she and I were actually like, okay, we looked at our organization as a whole and said, you know what, do we need one more BDR to support in this effort or do we need more ad spend? Where are we collectively as a go-to-market organization going to invest for the business, the benefit of the business? It wasn't my department, her department. We were very much focused on the revenue of the company. Uh, and it was, a, it was a great, great relationship. Hey, Stacey, this isn't about sales alignment, <laughs> right? That's a, this is great. This is fantastic stuff, right? I mean, I think it all connects. The buyer's journey doesn't end at the MQL. I think that's one of your big points here, right? And Absolutely. the alignment between marketing and sales and the continuation of that journey is so critical, right? I love it. Is it is, is the buyer, buyer's journey in support? It could be content. It could be BDR. Right. I mean, there's an, it could be operational. It could be all kinds of different things. So expanding it, your definition of that buyer's experience and what marketing can actually be open to that is actually needed yes. during that buyer's experience is a big takeaway that I'm, I'm taking that I've gotten from this conversation here. Absolutely. And we were building content for the BDRs as well. So that was just one other channel in, in my in my marketing mind all of the content that we needed at various stages to support the discussions, the, the thought process, that buying experience, that was just one other channel that we needed to support. Um, so it, because again, when you flip it away from the funnel and who owns what part of the funnel and you look at it from the buyer journey, we are all responsible for the buyer experience and that buyer journey. So where are they? What do they need? Um, and I don't know a single marketer that wants a BDR to be writing the content that is going out. So we need to look at that as one more, 
you know, channel where we can manage a message uh, to get the right focus uh, where it needs to be. So a couple of times you've brought up the idea of content. And um, I think what you just said there was like a really great takeaway. So you took away my last question of the podcast, which is what your takeaway is. But I'm, what I'm interested in learning is content has come up a number of times. Mm-hmm. Right? And if I were just to ask you a question and I'm going to ask you to rate the importance of content on a scale of one to 10 in terms of the overall growth and success of the company, how important is content? One, not important at all. 10, vital to the overall growth and success of the company. How would you rate that? I would say 10. Uh, if I were not uh, such a literal person, I would go higher. Uh, but uh, <laughs> within the confines of 1 to 10, absolutely 10. You need content. You need, that's how, that's the face of through which a buyer sees you. That is the face through which they communicate. Um, content is everything. It's the videos, it's the website, it is your, your messaging, um, in media, it is all things. And in a world where 70% of the buyer journey is done online before they ever even speak to you, content has to be the focus, which is why, um, why it's so important to keep top of mind what the buyer is experiencing experiencing so that your content is seen through their lens and that they can quickly say, I see you, I trust you, I need that, I want to buy from you. And then further down the funnel when it's, you know, um, when they're actual clients, I want to grow with you. Content doesn't end just because marketing is typically focused in that top to mid funnel. Um, That is not that's not seeing it through the lens of the buyer buyer journey. And it's not revenue focused either because a significant portion of a company's revenue should be from their existing client base, right? It's yep. land and expand. Yes. Right? So if we're revenue focused, we need to be not just top middle focused, we need to be bottom and we need to be post-purchase focused as well. Very much so. Very much so. Well, it. Such a fantastic conversation. If somebody had a follow-up question, would providing them a link to your profile on LinkedIn, would that be a good way for them to get a hold of you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that I'm more than happy to talk. Um, I, I always joke, I am a marketing geek. Uh, I love marketing theory. Uh, so I can talk at now at the end. <laughs> so bring it on. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for just contributing to the community here in the and the way that we're thinking about just how do not only we in our jobs um, be more successful because CMOs fail at the fastest rate of anybody in the C-suite, unfortunately, uh, but how do we make the overall company more successful? And I think that would, that would contribute to our own individual success at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, we have to support each other in the community as well and share best practices and ideas and brainstorm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for all of that. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.